Hey, I'm Mason King, host of the IBJ Podcast. And before we get into this week's episode, I want to tell you about the newest podcast from IBJ Media called Off the Record with the Indiana 250. In each episode, IBJ Media CEO Nate Feldman talks with a different leader on the Indiana 250 list of the state's most influential leaders. They discuss their vision for Indiana's future, their experiences in business, and their advice for other aspiring entrepreneurs. New episodes are released on select Thursdays. So go subscribe to the show on your favorite podcast platform so you can never miss an episode. Just search the Indiana 250 off the record. Thanks. This is the IBJ podcast for the week of Monday, September 18th, 2023, brought to you by Taft. I'm your host, Mason King. Welcome back to the podcast, everybody. Last month, the dining industry publication, Nation's Restaurant News, published a list of the top 25 restaurant groups in America. Now, it's important to know how they define restaurant group. It's not another way of saying a company that owns chain restaurants. Rather, the companies in the top 25 are made up of at least several unique concepts, generally upscale or fine dining brands that reflect their creativity one would expect from an independent restaurant. But the group operates at the scale of a major chain. Ranked eighth on this year's list was Indianapolis-based Cunningham Restaurant Group. If you need us to jog your memory, here are some of the local restaurants developed by Cunningham, mostly in the last 15 years. Mesh, Vida, Livery, Brew Burger Bar, Modita, Nesso, Provision, Rise, Union 50, Stone Creek Dining Company, Boulder Creek Dining Company, and Tavern at the Point. Founded in 1997, Cunningham Restaurant Group now counts 17 distinctive concepts spread over a total of about 40 establishments across Indiana, Kentucky, and Ohio. And the stovetop at its development kitchen in downtown Indianapolis is full. CRG is opening several new concepts in the next year, and founder and CEO Mike Cunningham estimates that the group could have as many as 60 locations within three years. The highest profile addition to the culinary landscape will be located on Bicentennial Unity Plaza next to Gainbridge Fieldhouse. Indiana Pacers owner Herb Simon is building a 30,000 square foot dining and entertainment complex called Commission Row. And CRG has been hired to develop and manage its three main components. A 220 seat upscale restaurant called Commission Row a 110-seat speakeasy-style watering hole called Mel's at Commission Row, and a 260-seat event space called Above at Commission Row. CRG is also working on an indoor-outdoor casual dining spot called Shindig in the North Mast Corridor and a family-friendly pasta joint in Plainfield called Theo's Italian. In this week's edition of the IBJ Podcast, Mike Cunningham discusses in detail his plans for the new eateries, as well as adjustments he's making to existing properties in central Indiana. And he also dives deep into his philosophy for growing the restaurant group and why such a significant chunk of it has taken shape in downtown Indianapolis. Here's our conversation.
It's my pleasure to welcome back to the podcast, Mike Cunningham, founder and CEO of Cunningham Restaurant Group. Mike, thanks for making time today. Glad to be here. So I walk by Commission Row, the construction site, every day on my way to work. So I feel like I've been watching it take shape in slow motion. Let's dig into that first. How did this relationship uh, for creating Commission Row with Pacer Sports and Entertainment come about? Did you guys have a relationship before that? We did. Um, I uh, have been uh, involved in the, with the Pacers. I'm a avid fan, I'm a season ticket holder and go to the games. But I also had a, a really good friend that was a fairly sizable sponsor with the Pacers. And so Jack um, would uh, have all these opportunities with the sponsorships to like go on sponsorship trips and things like that. And Jack's wife didn't necessarily always enjoy doing those trips. So um, Jack would also often invite me. So um, I found myself at uh, probably three or four sponsorship trips with the Pacers. And uh, on those trips, their leadership team usually goes. And so Rick Fusion and I got to know each other a little bit through those trips. And that's where this thing started. I think Herb uh, decided he wanted to do some sort of um, hospitality food service um, component to the new plaza. And he was interested in having a local operator. So Rick and I knew each other. He was familiar with our restaurants, uh, familiar with our operations and said, hey, you know, Mike, he, I, I remember meeting him at the field house and stood in the, uh, the the main lobby of the field house looking out at that plaza under construction. And, and he says, hey, Herb's got this idea. What do you think? And then that's where the ball started rolling. And things evolved a little bit. Some of the original plans were more geared towards a sports bar kind of complex. And uh, we through conversations and we landed on doing something a little higher level, more, more unique. And there's quite a bit of sports bar offerings around the arena already, including the arena itself is basically one large sports bar. Yeah. <laughs> and so uh, my argument was we, why do we do another sports bar right next to the arena? And so we ended up landing on doing this um, uh, commission real concept, which is high end steak, seafood, raw bar, caviar service. I mean, it's going to be really something the city's should be proud of when it's done. And it's sort of a legacy thing for her because it's a, it's a, it's a big investment that would be difficult for a restaurant tour to do on, on their own. So, so the Pacers are, are, are building the property. They're yeah. outfitting the property and the CRG is managing. That is correct. We have a, we have a management contract um, with uh, the Pacers and Herb and um, we have a nice arrangement where, you know, we have, there's an upside for us if the thing's successful that we can enjoy some of that upside. So, and there are three components. Last time I checked, there's the restaurant, and that's called Commission Row. Commission Row. That's correct, yeah. And there is a, is it more kind of a speakeasy style tavern? Yes. Uh, is that basement level? Is it's that right? basement level. Um, no windows. It'll be a very um, dark and sexy, sort of like a speakeasy back in the day. And, and that will be called Mel Speakeasy, I'm assuming, uh, due to Mel Simon. Yes. Uh, the in brother honor, of Herb. Yeah, in honor of Herb's uh, brother, Mel, yeah. uh, who passed away several years ago. So uh, that, that'll be about 110 seats. Uh, the restaurant on the first level is about 220 seats. And then on the third level, we have uh, what we're going to call above at Commission Row, which is a 260 seat event space. And then on the second level as well, we have a 72 seat patio that kind of wraps around the west and the south part of the building and overlooks the plaza. Um, and that would be our uh, patio seating for the restaurant, or it could be part of the, uh, the event space as well. What does Commission Row refer to? Is that a callback to something in that? It area? is, yeah. Um, you know, naming restaurants can be difficult, especially when you've opened a few of them. And uh, so we always try to look historically at where, you know, what was on that site or 
how do we relate to the building that we're in? Obviously, this was an, an empty site. So the building is brand new. But in the early 1900s, there were uh, historically, uh, you can find these images that are really cool, but there was just a row of historic buildings, four or five story kind of uh, typical downtown Italian eight architecture buildings. And uh, that was commissioned row. So that was a place where local neighborhood grocery stores would go get their products and take it back to their neighborhood. Um, so uh, we thought it was a nice connection where it was kind of the, the place where you got your food and uh, liked the name and, you know, thought it related um, back to the history of the, the site. So when will Commission Row as the, the entire facility open? I assume it absolutely needs to be up and running for All-Star Weekend. Yes. Yeah. The um, we when we start planning this thing, Shield Sexton is doing the uh, con- general contracting on it. Um, we always had January 22nd as the date that we were going to open. And it was a target that we established a year and a half ago. And uh, we, we all understood we had to hit that date. And it was driven mostly by the All-Star game. Yeah. And that so that's about three weeks before yes. All-Star yeah. game. Because All-Star weekend is the February 16th to the 18th. That's correct. Yeah. So you want to be up and running for at least three weeks before the NBA hits the fan. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So it was nice to get have our staff get some get their legs underneath them. So uh, we didn't want to open that weekend, that's for sure. But it will be a, uh, an interesting weekend, to say the least. So I assume that the Commission Row, the restaurant, will be open on all game nights. Yes. Uh, and I get fever, pacers, what have you. But you also needed to come up with something that would work the other, what, 250 nights of the year. That's something that would work, you know, when uh, when there's a country act in town or when Adam Sandler comes to town or Dave Chappelle comes to town, did that sort of the, the multiple use, multiple audience aspect of that come into play when you were trying to figure out what you wanted there? Yes, very much so. We um, we didn't, and purposely, we didn't connect the restaurant to the arena. So there's no, you have to go outside of the arena and come into the restaurant. So we didn't want to be an arena restaurant. Um, you may have been to some other arenas around the country. And I think of um, where the Chicago Bulls play, there's a steakhouse in the arena. Well, it's great for game days, but I'm not sure a lot of people are driving from the suburbs or conventioneers are going to a United Center and eating dinner when there's not a game or a show. We want to fill this restaurant up seven days a week. And and so um, uh, if the arena's uh, got an event, we're going to have the challenge of feeding a lot of people right before a show, which we've uh, have plans for because that's a difficult thing to do. Yeah, that was a my question. Uh, like, because the game is starting at like 7 or 7.30, right? Yeah. And so everyone wants their check at 7.25. So you got to be, for those nights, I would assume, you know, the staff needs to be ready for that, which would be different from, you know, maybe a Monday night. Correct. Yeah. And then the other challenge is when there's a game. Um, and we think because downtown and where downtown's going is a community with with residential growing year over year, even on game nights, uh, let's say a game starts at seven, that place empties out. If you if you're living in the suburbs, you may think twice about driving downtown and trying to park while there's a game. Although we will have valet and we have up to 150 spots for valet. So we'll have the convenience of even being able to, to handle that when on game days. But, um, you know, it's uh, we need to put some people in those seats at 730 on those game nights. And we really think people that live downtown or if you're in town for business or a convention or something like that, um, this restaurant is going to be a, a, a site that people will talk about. It's just, it's a really dramatic building. The finishes are dramatic. Uh, again, uh, no no cost was spared. And um, so we we think it'll be a place that people 
will want need to see uh, when they come to Indianapolis. Yeah. Now, as you know, the Mile Square has something like still has about a dozen steakhouses in it, and you know places like San Amos that are uh, internationally famous. You know, and, and new steakhouses. I think Demonico's is uh, or Del Frisco's. Yeah, and the is, Red, is so red Space. Yeah, and the Red Space. Mm-hmm. Right. Did that give any pause? I mean, that we were going to have. We're just going to add <laughs> to the number of steakhouses. Downtown. Well, I mean, um, we uh, purposely have, uh, I think, more options on our menu. We're doing uh, um, a full scale raw bar. So it would be uh, maybe what Ocean Air back Ocean Air had back in the day when they opened. And I know they still do it on a, on a, on a certain scale. But um, so if you want one at that, but maybe almost, you know, th- doesn't offer that necessarily. Um, but we also have composed fish, uh, fresh fish dishes that. You know, an Elmo's uh, or a, a Hyde Park may not have as much of. So it's more of a steak and seafood house. Um, and again, it's an experience, right? People can get a, a New York strip on a plate in 10 different places, like you said. But will they, what will they feel like when they're sitting there eating that 14 ounce strip? And what kind of experience are they going to have? What kind of environment are you putting them in? What kind of energy are they feeling? So um, those are all the important things that people decide, hey, this is where I want to go because this is, this place makes me feel a certain way. Um, and I think we have to make sure we hit that that component well um, to compete with the 10 other steakhouses in town. For the people that would be going to these events and the, and the Pacer games, you know, when I occasionally can scratch up enough money to uh, take my family, uh, I'm, I'm not thinking about getting a steak. <laughs> right, right. I mean, this, so this, that part of the project doesn't feel like it's for me. Yeah. Um, but you feel like you, you're going to have a strong enough audience at those price points to make it worthwhile. Right. I mean, uh, any given Pacer game, you know, there's probably 12 to 15,000 fans in the stand. Um, and so we, you know, we're going to have one turn probably before a game, which is 200 seats, you know. So, you know, we don't need to get everybody in that. Um, and then um, we have to create something that people want to go to. So if somebody uh, lives in the suburbs and they uh, only go to places like this, maybe on a birthday or an anniversary, we we have to fight to be that choice. Right. And there's enough in the million and a half to two million people that live in the central Indiana area. There's enough of that that we, if we build, build it, they will come sort of uh, approach. Um, and so we, you know, we don't have to appeal to everybody every night, uh, but there are certain demographic that, can't afford to eat in places like that on a regular basis. And, uh, and again, we're, it's a competitive place to be. And I mean, there, you know, we have, uh, you know, you mentioned Elmo's Elmo's is the hundred pound gorilla in Indianapolis and has been for almost a century. So that'll be a difficult challenge, but if you're looking for something different, we're going to provide something pretty special. So, um, it's going to be interesting to see, um, I think Elmo's has a, a certain, offers a certain experience that you can't get anywhere else. So uh, they'll, they'll be fine. <laughs> I, I wouldn't worry about saying almost, but, uh, uh, and they do a great job there. So, um, but you know, our city's growing and we're building new hotels and uh, hopefully soon we're going to figure out how to redevelop them all. And the city market's getting redeveloped and there's, you know, with IU, what they're doing downtown, it's, you know, uh, with a four plus billion dollar spend, you know, I, 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 Family and I, my wife and I live downtown. We're, we're bullish on downtown Indianapolis. So uh, we think it's the future's bright so we can fill these seats. So, uh, Would Mel's have uh, a food at a, at a lower price point? Yes. It, Mel's is going to be sort of a smaller plate menu, so more uh, conducive to sharing. Uh, and we'll have items on that menu that don't we don't have on the menu upstairs. As always, people request them. We'll, we'll make it happen. But uh, yeah, Mel's is going to have a little different vibe. So you can certainly go down there, have a couple cocktails and eat some small plate stuff and, 
and not spend quite as much money as, um, as you would upstairs. So CRG has 15, 16 concepts, dining concepts. I think we're up to 18 now. but Distinctive dining concepts, but you don't have anything like Commission Row, or did I miss something? You know, uh, I would say the closest thing would be provision. Yeah. Um, with, you know, it's, it's basically a steakhouse model with, with a, a fresh seafood component. We do not have a raw bar there. but right. um, And that's up at the Ironworks. Yeah, yeah. yeah so that would be the closest thing um, to what we're doing here. But, um, you know, it's quite a different approach we're taking with this one than even provision. Is it possible that commissioned could be a concept that you could replicate somewhere else? Highly unlikely. Okay. Yeah. So this would be really unique. Yeah. Stay just site specific. I think so. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And Mel's, I assume, would, doesn't translate very well. Well, no. <laughs> and and I think uh, CRG as a company, there's a reason why we're we're kind of focused on Indiana, Ohio, Kentucky region. We we don't want to get on airplanes to, to go to work. So we we're, we keep things pretty tight. And um, I have no desire to drop something like this in Las Vegas or New York City. <laughs> or, you know, we're, we've just never been built to, and had ambitions to do that sort yeah. of thing. So I vaguely remember uh, seeing Herb Simon uh, in the back booth. Uh, in the bar at Morton's before Pacers games. Uh, and this is before Morton's closed uh, in 2020, which is a steakhouse, but to, but also with a with a bar, kind of speakeasy feel. Uh, is there going to be a dedicated booth for Herb and Mel's? Uh, it's, uh, you know, Herb can sit anywhere he wants. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but there was attention to that, like to make sure there was uh, something that he might enjoy. So that was uh, the... Uh, Remiss to say that we that wasn't a conversation that's been had. <laughs> okay, there you go. Uh, so the uh, the event space was called Above at Commission Row, and that would be available for weddings, corporate parties, other special occasions. Uh, I assume that uh, the the Pacers or Pacers Sports Entertainment would be able to use it um, as as they as they need it uh, to do their kind of entertaining. Uh, and would and would be a unique space for them as well. Yeah, I think it's a you know they have some space in the field house now. They have a, a 120 person event space that was new to this the field house with this latest update. But uh, certainly we invite the Pacers organization to be a good customer of Commission Row. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so the Commission Row as a entertainment business, as the restaurant, as the speakeasy, as the the event space. Will that be owned by CRG as a business, not the real estate? So the uh, the business itself is is um, owned by Herb Simon, um, and we're, we have a management contract to run the business, and then we have a oh okay yeah. So we it CRG is, the restaurant will be branded CRG mm-hmm. uh, for those people that are um, are uh, VIP customers who use their VIP points. Those will be uh, accepted at Commission Row and and dished out. So uh, it's going to feel and look and be everything of, of CRG concept. But, you know, the 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 business where we're basically contracted to run it. And okay. We, we get a, a fee to run it. And then we have a split, you know, at, at when everybody kind of gets their obligated number for rent, for example, in our management fee. And then there's if there's uh, if and when there's uh, profits over over and above that, we we have a split. Oh, that's fascinating. Yeah. Okay. So that, so there is an upside. By, that was an upside by Pacers. Yeah. PSE. Essentially, some sort of entity involved with PSE. Your only involvement is as manager. Managing. Yep. Okay. Yep. Gotcha. Well, that's fascinating. Okay. Is managing uh, this kind of facility something that you would be looking to get more into, or is this kind of a one-off just because of the relationship you have with the Pacers? You know, we we 
we uh, consider all good opportunities, uh, but this is a unique one. I mean, we we uh, don't haven't done a lot of this sort of thing. Um, we we did have a, a partnership in Cincinnati with Christian Moorline Brewing and Warren Lager House, and uh, we were uh, had an ownership position in that, but it was wasn't a majority ownership position, and we ran that for nine years. Um, similar kind of setup. It was a three level, 660 seat brew house right next to the Red Stadium, if you're familiar with it. Um, so we, we built that, developed it, uh, opened it and operated it for nine years. Um, and then through COVID, uh, we had an opportunity to um, either kind of take it over or step away from it. Um, and uh, we chose to step away from it. Um, and, uh, you know, there were quite a few challenges. You know, the Reds had come off of basically eight years of being absolutely horrible, not the stadium being empty. Sales were still pretty solid. The thing was making money. Um, but we so, you know, what we're doing with Commission Row is not the first time we've done something like this. So we've we've had some good experience uh, understanding how surge works, um, pregame surge and how to manage that. Um, so some of that that learning curve will apply to Commission Row. But to answer your que- initial question, we, 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 we're open to these conversations, but it takes a very unique situation. We're not out advertising that we want to get into contract management. Yeah. Okay. So again, just to make sure I get this right. So CRG's involvement in the Commission Row project is you have certainly come in and helped them develop the concepts that they feel comfortable with, that they think will work, but they are building the building. They own the building. They own the tables, the chairs, everything. That's correct. You guys come in and you run it. Right. And all three spaces. All three spaces. Gotcha. Yeah. Okay. I just want to shift gears for a sec because we've been talking about how many restaurant concepts CRG has. Can, I know this is hard, but can you briefly encapsulate the process for developing a restaurant concept? I know it's not you're sitting at home at the breakfast table thinking, you know what? We need an Italian place. And you get on the phone and start ordering stuff. I mean, there is a process that you guys have. Right. That, uh, that it, is it, not it, like subject to your whims. Yeah. So um, it, it it comes from different places. So mm-hmm. I'll, I'll you try to use some examples. Uh, we did Modita at, at Bottleworks. And Deso for this was the same kind of approach. Uh, we felt there was a, a need in the marketplace. Um, there wasn't a polished Italian. There certainly wasn't a polished Asian concept in the city. Um, if you go to Chicago or, or any of the big cities, you can find multiple polished Asian concepts. And so we would, we often take trips to kind of find inspiration. And I, I think back on the Modita project, we went to Chicago and had uh, dinner at Girl and the Goat, or I'm sorry, Duck Duck Goat, which is their Asian concept. And then we had dinner at Mama Taro, um, which is in the Fulton district market area. These places were booming places tough to get into. There's a market for it. And in my opinion, I don't think uh, any level of Asian food was done polished in this marketplace since P.F. Chang came down. And I don't mean any, I'm not sliding any any restaurant out there that, but it's it's just, you know, doing, uh, kind of hitting on all the cylinders, you know, with with decor and and feel and and service and all that stuff. So in that situation, it was, we, we the marketplace needs this. We're going to f- develop it and find a good place for it. Livery on the other example, uh, another example would be livery downtown. We had this beautiful building and it, it happened to be a, an old livery um, horse stable. So uh, we had the name and then we were like, we already had American cuisine covered on Mass Avenue in multiple locations and we needed to do something different. So the building sort of gave us direction and similar to, similar to Union 50, you know, it was an old Union Hall. 
So sometimes you build the the concept around the building itself, but sometimes there's just a, a need in the marketplace. You identify what the need is and uh, develop around that. And we're developing the menu though. I mean, you have gastronomic experts here on site that develop the menu. You know, correct. When you're when you think, oh, I want to have a you know a Japanese place, think, well, we need. Uh, teriyaki steak and California rolls. I mean, there's so many, there's so many putting a ton of thought yes, into I yeah. mean, in integrating the, the decor and the food and the overall concept. Right. And, and, and as you say, even, you know, the site. Right. And, and Modita was tough because that talent is not like uh, lined up at the, at your door, you know, uh, to, to do that. And we fortunately uh, were developing that during COVID and we, our landlord was all of our landlords through COVID were on, on, we had six deals inked for a new restaurants when COVID hit. So we were, we had to navigate that. And um, I think, um, you know, Hendrix uh, who are the developers over there, they were, they were great to work with. And as all of us were to kind of give us time because it didn't make any sense, like push forward no matter what, when our industry was shut down. So everything sort of got pushed back and delayed. We had, we, ultimately got all six of those locations opened, um, which is a real feather in our company's cap. I think our people um, did amazing things to get that done. But so uh, we, you know, had to develop a menu, which we that didn't necessarily have the expertise. Uh, and Braden Kellner, uh, some of your listeners may know that name. He was a longtime chef at Tinker Street. And Tinker Street had sort of shut down for a while and he was on the market and he's a very talented guy. And he was we basically put him in our development kitchen downtown here on Meridian, and um, he played in that kitchen for almost a year. So there's a there's a like a laboratory. There's a yeah, there's a lab. Kitchen. There's definitely a lab. <laughs> and, and where yeah. is that? It's uh, in the Chamber of Commerce building. So it's you're uh, joking. No, it's right that little uh, little restaurant that used to be cafe Sunrise Cafe, I think. Yeah, right. Just on the left, you got Indians, the Bank of Indianapolis on the right, and then is that where Ed and, Mar- Ed and Marges used to be? Back in the day. Yeah, oh, that's, that's funny. The space. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, and we. Uh, 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 Bo Elder owns that building and operates it. And we swung a deal to utilize that kitchen and we built, um, you know, a sort of a, a test kitchen there. So it's our D's all done there. And then we do uh, on occasion, we do events there too, which are pretty cool. Okay. Let's take a quick break to hear from our sponsor. This is the IBJ podcast. Taft, today's modern law firm, with more than 800 attorneys in eight primary Midwest markets and the District of Columbia, we provide solutions to the business issues facing middle market and emerging companies alike. We do this through a highly collaborative and inclusive team approach. Taft, the modern law firm. To learn more, visit taftlaw.com. All right, we're back with this week's edition of the IBJ podcast and our interview with Mike Cunningham, founder and CEO of Cunningham Restaurant Group. So you started CRG in 1997. And certainly at that time, Central Indiana had a pretty limited supply of original independent restaurants that didn't hem closely to some kind of genre, like a local Chinese place, a local Italian place, pizzeria, much less of an operator that is working with, you know, more than a dozen concepts. What do you think about what you've been able to accomplish in 25 years? You know, when we opened Boulder Creek in 97, I studied chain restaurants like for just functionality and what, what they were doing that, you know, I think, um, I don't know, California Cafe would be considered a chain back then, but they came to the mall 
um, that was a restaurant I hadn't seen before. And I was a young guy and, you know, I hadn't had the opportunity to, to dine in big cities. And I was enamored by what they were doing. I thought it was really fresh and exciting having an open kitchen. You could see the chefs working and the food coming up on a granite shelf. And uh, it just all was very, uh, and I literally ate there like 10 times and just took notes and studied the place. So we did Boulder Creek. Some of that stuff came out, but I also understood uh, early on, I was a big fan of Richard Melman in Chicago. Um, never met the man, loved to meet him someday, but he he was creating concepts and and creating atmosphere and vibe. And and so even at Boulder Creek on our first one, we were a mountain lodge in Brownsburg, Indiana. So we wanted to, people to feel like they were going somewhere other than they weren't in Brownsburg anymore. But when people would come into that restaurant early on, they would often ask us, like, where are you guys from? You must be a chain. Where are you from? And I felt that was a compliment. Today, that wouldn't feel like a compliment, right? Uh, because the market's different. So we, when we started, we were trying to emulate chains because they were polished and, and functional. And those were the restaurants that made money. Uh, the independents would always struggle. And then as things evolved, we've we, you know, sometimes it's better to be lucky than good, but we rode this wave of the marketplace changing from embracing chain restaurants to almost saying, I don't want, I want to find the local guy. I want to find that, you know, so uh, we rode that wave. I think it really picked up steam in the, you know, 2000 after the recession in 08 for us anyway. And, you know, starting in 12 or 13, our expansion became more rapid. And, and we had this wonderful 10-year run of cheap money and consumers really starting to, uh, the marketplace really starting to enjoy eating out almost more than ever before. I would absolutely say more than ever before. So, um, and, and the, the evolution of diners in the marketplace wanting to find cool local independent restaurants doing interesting things. We just, the timing was right. So I, I don't, you know, I don't never discount the fact that sometimes it's there's always a little bit of luck involved. Yeah. So, um, but, so, so on one hand, like the the strategy is be unique. Yes. Have I mean seed the area with a bunch of unique restaurants, while at the same time you you do have a concept that is easily replicable. Um, at least one concept, the Brew Burger, which you have uh, I don't know how many fifteen of those units, are, fifteen yeah. of those. Mm -hmm. So that strategy wise, what is the the point of Brew Burger? So when you get a model that works really well. You know, uh, you, you want to duplicate it um, because it's it's uh, a moneymaker for you. Right. Um, and we need to make money to grow and we need to make money to take care of our team and so forth. So and when I say model, you know, our labor um, numbers are easy there. The talent level is not going to offend anybody. But, the, you know, we're not a chef at Vita is far different than the chef at, at Brew Burger Bar. Um, and there's we're easier to staff that sort of situation than a Vita. So you know, the cost of goods on that type of menu is, is a good model. Um, so the labor cost is a good model um, and it's appealing to everybody. So uh, you made a point earlier about Commission Row may not be your cup of tea on a regular basis. Rue Burger Bar could be your, anybody's cup of tea on a regular basis. So it appeals to the masses and um, we, we don't mind doing both. We don't mind creating um, and we don't mind duplicating. Um, why not? So how many restaurants do you have downtown and i count nine i think that's right okay i don't usually count those on my fingers but <laughs> I, I trust that you're right yeah i'm not an expert in uh markets outside of indianapolis isn't it pretty rare to have a restaurant operator that would have so many restaurants in such a concentrated area 
I think there's examples across the country. Um, I think at Cameron Mitchell in Columbus in the short north. Now, I don't know if he has nine, but I bet you he has five or six. Um, uh, there was an operator in um, Minneapolis, St. Paul area that I went up there one time and found, uh, I think there was a steakhouse up there called Carnivore. And that guy had three or four restaurants in the same, on the same street. So I don't think it's unheard of. Again, we, you know, I understand this market. I live in it. And um, we identified in 2010 when we opened Mesh and the, 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 the basically the bottom of the recession, you know, uh, but we knew Mass Avenue was really good and, and up and coming before the recession. And, you know, once we got here, we thought it had all the tools to be a, an entertainment district. And so if we can create some of that energy and pull people this way, we can enjoy that. And we have, I mean, and, and we're, we, we may be saturated uh, to a point of saturation on Mass Ave. And that's kind of why we're kind of reaching out on the, on the edges of town. And we're doing a project uh, next year called Shindig, um, which is out on, on Roosevelt by North Mass Boulder. Right. Um, and so we, um, we're kind of push out a little bit, um, but we're a community-based restaurant. We have no problem. And, and again, we have to make those decisions at what point is it too much? Yeah. Like we, we kind of stopped doing American cuisine on Mass Avenue because we had Mass Union 50, Brew, Tavern. And it's like, you know, that's why we're reaching into our pocket to do other things. But that's always a forefront of our of my mind, especially as well, what point is, is, is enough enough? Yeah. yeah. I'm just going to mention them all because I, okay. <laughs> I went to the trouble yeah. of figuring yeah, out yeah. where they were. So it, we're just looking at the northeast quadrant of downtown. This is Mass Ave and Mass Ave adjacent. Vita, Livery, Union 50, Medita, Mesh, Brew Burger, and Tavern on the Point. Seven restaurants. They are within two to three minutes of each other by foot. And and this is this might be interesting to some people. The headquarters for Cunningham Restaurant Group is right in the middle of that. I mean, this is that neighborhood. I mean, what's the closest place to here? Is it livery? Probably livery. Yeah, yeah. Mesh. Yeah, my wife and I um, eat dinner in our restaurants almost every night, and we literally walk out of our garage and go where we want to walk to go to get dinner. <laughs> and uh, so that's not a bad thing. So but, is, yeah. is is it helpful? for you to be that close. I mean, I, I assume that I mean, when you're when you're going to delivery or you're going to mesh or whatever, I mean, it's not just as a diner. I mean, you're scoping the place yes, out. Is yeah. it helpful to have that supervisory? I think um, I think it's interesting. I um, There are restaurants uh, in Lexington, Columbus, Ohio, that I can't get to, and I get to maybe once or twice a year. And when I get there, the staff management team, um, they feel a different thing when when I walk in the building. It's, oh my God, he's here kind of thing. In my restaurants downtown, we're in them so often, everybody's like, oh, there's Mike. It's not like there's no intimidation and, and uh, there's no uh, fear that Mike's going to critique my restaurant. Uh, but Mike will critique their restaurant. Like if there's an issue, I'm going to get up and talk to somebody about it. Um, and uh, but it's all it's always in a constructive manner. It's never and you know somebody has to be fearful. But the, when I get in those outlying areas, if they don't know me well enough, they just the persona of the owner guys here um, can be a little intimidating for those folks. And I try to ease that as much as I possibly can. But I think our restaurants operate better in downtown Indianapolis because there's that check and balance. I mean, we're, there's eyes on it all the time. It's not just me. It's everybody in this office. Our, you know, Michael Donner, our director of operations. Chief Operating Officer, he's he's in these restaurants quite a bit. Uh, Rodney uh, Kirschman, who's our DO for the downtown restaurants, he's in them, you know, daily as well. So we we just 
it's nice to, on the management side of things, it's nice to have a lot of things in one area. It's just so much easier to, to, to see it, lay eyes on it. Yeah. Uh, are there any kind of like economies of scale with having so many, so close together? I mean, do, do they, some of the restaurants share personnel? Do they uh, share Very little. Supplies? Uh, we may transfer somebody from one to another on occasion, but it's usually in a management level. But, uh, and if a server has some interest to move into another restaurant and, uh, there's always that opportunity for them too, but it's not a like, it's not like our, our livery servers split time between mesh since it's in the, across the parking lot. It's yeah. not typical. Like when you're ordering parsnips, can you order for <laughs> four restaurants <laughs> at the same time? No, if you're ordering parsnips, you're going to get what you need in that back door that for that restaurant. We're not buying a, a big case <laughs> and dividing it up. Okay. So they're all getting separate food deliveries. Yeah, absolutely. Okay. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. yeah. So you operate in Indiana, Kentucky, and Ohio. And have how many restaurants at this point? 30? 42. Oh, 42. Yeah. Okay. I mean, it's, it still feels like, I mean, when you look at the map of all the restaurants, it is heavily concentrated on central Indiana. Why do you like to have everything so close? Are you really not that interested? I think you mentioned before, you don't want to have to take a plane to get to work. Right. Yeah. I, I you know, CRG is fairly well known in the central Indiana marketplace. So there's an advantage. Their economy of scales in that you know, related to that. So in our VIP program has been a huge success for us when people have that ability to, you know, get their points and, and they see some value in that. And it's, it's, it's been a big driver for us. Um, so when we open something new in Indianapolis, um, there's a certain amount of advantage we have over opening something, let's say in Columbus, Ohio. Um, so we want to take advantage of that uh, without being oversaturated and us uh, in these big cities. So I think, you know, we, we got a, a deal ink to do something in Westfield. Well, Westfield's blowing up. So why shouldn't we be up there? Right. So we, we there's still opportunities uh, in Indianapolis for us to continue to grow. But we just opened two restaurants in the Cincinnati market this past six months um, in the Montgomery community, um, uh, brew and a livery uh, side by side. So we're still trying to I think that's five locations in the Cincinnati market. And that would definitely be the one market that we have multiple locations. Um, uh, most of the other ones, you know, Lafayette, one, Evansville, one location, uh, South Bend, one location, all yeah. those being brews. Um, and Cincinnati is still two hours away by car. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's, yeah. Yeah. You can get it's there, easy. Yeah. It's easy. Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, you know, Louisville, we we rode, drove down there two days ago, uh, Chef Carl Chambers and I, and um, we were down and back and, you know, left 10 in the morning and home by five o'clock, you know? So it just becomes easier. And I don't particularly, I don't mind flying when I'm going to someplace fun and <laughs> on vacation, but I certainly don't want to get on a plane up for work every day. Okay. And, uh, um, and there's no real reason to do it. Right. Other than, you know, um, I don't, you know, we don't need to go 2000 miles away to, to build a restaurant. So you mentioned, you feel like you might be pretty well saturated here in this general area. This, uh, I guess, this quadrant of downtown. What what other areas are you looking at? And let's start with the the North Mass project, Shindig. What is that? So Shindig's a uh, uh, we're, we're we're leasing eighty five hundred square feet of an old warehouse. So it's going to be a really cool space. Um, and uh, this east end of the building had a ten thousand ish square foot parking lot that was a um, uh, gravel lot, and we uh, are going to utilize about 80% of that for a patio. So we're going to have about an 8,000 square foot outdoor area. Um, it's going to have ping pong tables and cornhole and fire pits and things like that. It's going to, we love the name, by the way, Shindig is like an old vintage name for a party, right? 
Yeah, right. That's so, very uh, 60s. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And so uh, then and the menu is going to be super casual. It's basically going to be a pizza joint. Um, we're going to have pizzas and salads and and kind of uh, sandwiches and, you know, some appetizers, but mostly conducive to sharing and, and family oriented and uh, and really kind of appealing. I think it'll appeal to everybody, but it's, it's we're really trying to grab that uh, young professional person in downtown that's living downtown. And we we do a good job at livery and brew with that get that customer. But uh, we want to expand on that um, targeting that kind of group and getting to, you know, we do a pretty good job with a 35 and up crowd in, in downtown Indianapolis um, with our more pricier options, more sophisticated options. So we feel like we can, well, there's still room to grow that, that younger demographic. And North Mass obviously has the Massachusetts name in it, but I mean, it's, it's a distinctive area. It is Northwest of the North split. And it is an area that uh, for decades and decades was industrial. Sure. Uh, yeah. And it and has since been, <laughs> I don't want to use them taken over. That's not exactly right, but has been identified as a place to redevelop yeah. uh, where developers are coming in with apartments, with uh, retail, with entertainment. And, uh, and at some point that just got on your radar, I assume. It did. And I think North Mass Boulder, the, the, the rock climbing place over there, the popularity of that um, was kind of helped drive the, the decision too. And that's um, like a fitness facility. It's a, it's a rock climbing club basically, but it's large scale. They have a gym, they have yoga, they have um, my, both of my daughters are members there. So, uh, and, and they, they've done a really nice job building a community with the audience that we're talking about. Um, and I don't have any members they have, but it's a pretty busy place. Um, and that along with uh, it's it's a natural and what the developers over there have plans for, like you said, apartments and that 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 area could look dramatically different in the next five years. Um, and it's easy to get to. And, you know, we we have uh, parking. Um, so if you live anywhere downtown within five or 10 minute drive time and, you know, let's say in a, in a, if the weather's not conducive to walking or biking, you know, you could pull your car up there and be there and not have the headache of what what parking like, you know, what parking is on Mass Avenue or or in the center of the city. So what's the timing uh, for opening Shindig? We'll probably open that in the late second quarter, early third quarter of 24. Okay. Now, I know we just talked about leaving Mass Ave alone, but tell me about the Benberg. Oh, well, uh, the Benbergs, uh, <laughs> <laughs> it's been on the drawing board for a long time um, yeah. because we have seven restaurants within walking distance. Um we, we knew it had to be in the general uh, vicinity of, of Mass Ave. And uh, we found the the old, um, I think the restaurant in there was called The Owner's Wife. It lasted about a year. Oh, sure. Yeah. yeah. I, and yeah, that yeah was so a, that's the building. Related to the, the, the Bruges. Yeah, it's, yeah, it's, yeah that's right. right. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And, and um, then it sat empty for a while. And um, we were kicking this idea around. We had a location, different location kind of, but it couldn't get anything worked out. And... Um, the, this product is in other cities. Um, we just didn't have it in Indianapolis yet. And, I've and been, how do you describe the product? What is it? Uh, it's a basically a private bar, so a membership only bar. Um, now, oftentimes, more often than not, you'll see these membership type clubs, and you know Soho House has done it with the hotel industry. But um, you would see it with it would be a basically a private restaurant. Uh, we weren't interested in doing that because we felt like the restaurant side of it would be covered with the seven restaurants you could walk to from this bar. So it became a different model for us. Um, and it's really designed for um, quiet private space to do business, um, to um, network to some extent, although that we don't promote people being bothered in there. And so we, uh, you know, it's a great place to have a meeting at five o'clock after work, talk about something, or 
if you're going to dinner, uh, grab a cocktail before dinner or after dinner. Uh, if you're going to a show or if you're going to a ball game, it's great to grab a couple cocktails. The whole idea is to do something. You're, do, you're hitting Benberg before or after doing something else. Right. It's definitely not a place where, and our members are not using it this way, and it wasn't designed this way, to, to belly up to the bar and spend four hours or five hours at the bar. Um, don't have TVs behind the bar. Um, um, but again, it's by design. Uh, we do have a couple of TVs in the space, uh, one in a conference room for business and another area for if, if somebody wanted to kind of come in and watch a ball game or something, they could do that. You have a sense of, of the price of membership? Yeah, the price of my, the membership is a $1,500 membership, annual membership, and there's a $250 monthly spend. Oh, wow. Oh, so you need to go. Yeah. Yeah. You yeah. need to go. And we, it's like, we, yeah, it's, it's like a private country club. Yeah. yeah. Right. Same amount of, but we, we give people an opportunity to kick their credits down the road. Um, and so it's not like you have to, if you, if you're somebody that's can't meet that minimum on a monthly basis, you will, will help you find ways to meet it. Um, whether if you have an event, you know, we, if you're, uh, um, you know, want to have a group of people in and the, the capacity is available, you're welcome to do that too. So we often have 50, 60 people in for an event where members like, I want to host these people. Mm -hmm. and I'm, I'm sorry that I'm not up to date on this. Is this open already? Oh yeah. It's been open for almost a year. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's a little, a little on the down low. Now well, I, think it's, I think it's I not mean, so much that, anymore though. Cause isn't I that think the point, though? <laughs> it is And the, the star just did a story on it too. And yeah. we, we didn't invite them in to take photographs, but uh, we don't mind people knowing it's there. Okay. That's great. Um, more on the outskirts. There's some shuffling going on. I think in Greenwood, I mean, this is a tester. Can you tell me, tell me what's happening? Yeah. So um, we, um, we have uh, some of the, we call them the Creek restaurants. So it would be the Boulder Creeks, Stone Creeks and Gerbanos and things like that. These restaurants are all, um, if they're not over 20 years old, they're approaching 20 years. Uh, we're very proud to say they're all still open and thriving. So, um, but when restaurants get of that age, there has to be, um, you know, you can, you can do facelifts on the, the dining room and, and, and you do those in short periods of time, like overnight, you know, wallpaper something and be fresh the next day, but you can't do that in the kitchen. Um, so we uh, have uh, already accomplished most of what we have to do. For example, Boulder Creek, we shut that down for 30 days and gutted the kitchen and put an entire new kitchen in. Um, our Stone Creek in Greenwood is in a building um, and our, our landlord's been a a plus landlord for for 20 years. Um, but the building's sort of crumbling. The history of the building, there were four or five restaurants in there prior to us going in 20 years ago that failed. Um, it has a basement in it. We have some we have some real issues with that building. And also the marketplace in Greenwood, sort of the growth is happening south of Greenwood. Center Grove obviously is is what it is. And and there's a lot happening south of Greenwood all the way down into Barbersville. And uh, we feel like long-term we're a better positioned down there. So we are developing, we're actually doing the development on it as well. Uh, we bought six and a half acres down there on uh, 135 and, and uh, Stones Crossing. And so uh, what we're developing is a new Stone Creek that will uh, set back at the back of the property uh, overlooking a fairly large retention pond in a nice wooded area. It'll be a very beautiful setting. Um, uh, and then uh, we're doing a, a brew burger bar on the corner of this six and a half acres. And then we're also doing a 16,000 square foot retail center. So that'll be a new development that's will probably come online with that uh, towards the end of 24, probably start turning dirt in the next two months. So Greenwood is a bit underserved today. I think restaurant wise, uh, people sort of gravitate towards the mall and the malls, the mall. Um, 
So we uh, uh, are really looking forward to bringing something really fresh and new to that market. I think it's starving for it. Besides Shindig uh, and Commission Row, is there anything else new planned for downtown? Um, not for downtown. Um, we do have a, an Italian concept called Theo's Italian that's opening up in Plainfield in about three weeks. Okay. And that is in the, the Perry, is it the Perry Crossing? Yes. Similarly, there's a little bit of a shuffle there. Correct. With their properties there. Tell me what's going on. Yeah. So again, back referencing back to the, the creeks getting old, that Stone Creek and the mall was uh, approaching, I think it's in its 18th or 19th year. Again, we've kept up on the front of the house. So if, if you come into that or you came into that restaurant six months ago, you'd saw a pretty polished front of the house, um, but the kitchen was falling apart. Um, so we had this opportunity to uh, the Clada, the old Clada, um, which was in the front of the mall, had been vacant for four or five years. Um, in all of our restaurants, we have a brew there as well. Um, and we have a 350 seat event center at Perry Cross. And so we're, and it's the, even though the mall struggled over the years, um, there's space in that mall that's never been leased in 20 years, still sitting empty, but there's enough there. And the community, we we've have supported us extremely well in, in the, our restaurants up there. So that's why we kept pushing forward and now putting our third restaurant in that mall. So uh, again, having to retool Stone Creek, we had this opportunity to kind of take over the cloud of space and, and get a fresh new Stone Creek, brand new kitchen, brand new everything. And then we're going to retool the old Stone Creek into this Italian family, Italian concept called Theo's Italian. Okay. And, and by the way, Theo's my grandson's name. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. That's what I wanted to know. Yeah. Theo likes pasta. I yeah, we, <laughs> we like Theo. <laughs> oh yeah. Great. Uh, Bloomington. Brewburger. I think this, is that your first step into the Bloomington market? It is. Yeah. Mm-hmm. We're, we looked over the years. Um, think uh, several things have held us back a little bit and this might be the fluctuation of population with the school, but, uh, and then, but the big, the big uh, hurdle was the liquor license um, and, and Bloomington liquor license are quite expensive and we never uh, were willing to, it never worked well in our projections to say, Hey, we're going to spend uh, a couple hundred thousand dollars for a liquor license to go down to Bloomington and sell beer and drinks to college kids. You know what I mean? So uh, that was always sort of a hurdle. And then we, uh, Annex, who's a local developer here, uh, it was developing a a small apartment complex on Third and Grant. And uh, they had one retail spot in there that uh, in Third and Grant location wise, we thought was very pretty strong. It was within walking distance of everything that happens around the campus. I think we're a block and a half from the gates at IU. so, uh, and that developer was pretty savvy in going out and getting a liquor license and then came to us and said, Hey, we want, we want a brew here and we have a liquor license. So we were hey. like, Oh, but let's talk, you know? Wow. So we worked out an arrangement, um, and it, and uh, put the deal together and, uh, you know, that, that should open up probably in February of 24. How many restaurants do you think you're going to have in three years? Um, I think we may be uh, approaching 60 restaurants. Wow. Three years. Yeah. I mean, we're, we're still on put, par doing three or four a year um so you do have you have forgive me you do have concepts of cooking you have you have things that are that are brewing simmering uh yes there's always thoughts of what's not here what can we do um, mediterranean is something that we've been kicking around for a while just finding the right opportunity to do it um and that potentially could be on mass app you know because i don't think anybody's doing that sort of thing you're not um i mean they're, they're I mean, several places where you really aren't. You're not in Broderpool. I mean, one place in Carmel, I think. One place in Zinesville. One place in Noblesville. One place in Fishers. 
southern part. Oh, we, we, we talked about the Greenwood area, but yeah, the southern part. Not on the east side. Yeah, yeah, right. You know, the west side, we we started our company on the west side of Indianapolis in Avon, in Brownsburg, um, Plainfield. So, but yeah, there, there, are, there are potential opportunities down the road for us here still. Um, and I, I think the north side, um, there's a lots of opportunities. Um, but, uh, you know, I think the fact that we came downtown and focused on that for quite some time, probably, um, we, the focus was down here more so than the north side and maybe why, but I mean, Keystone, the crossing, we have two, we have three restaurants there. We have rise provision and brew and again, you know, anybody that knows the north side of town, which I know a lot of your listeners will, with the interstate system the way it is in Keystone and 31, you can, I mean, I literally drove from Westfield to Keystone of the Crossing in like nine minutes. So that's how easy it is to get around town up there. So we don't feel like we need to reach way out somewhere north. Um, getting around the north side of town with what they've done up there is is pretty easy. Uh, you're going to stay in Indiana, Kentucky, and Ohio, or is there somewhere else? Yeah, I don't see, We, you know, we've considered popping up into Michigan because we have, we have restaurants we can kind of, spring off of in uh south bend and fort wayne um so we're right there on the border anyway um but uh we haven't we've looked in detroit we've looked in ann arbor you know some places like that but we're not we're not i wouldn't say aggressively pursuing that well it sounds like you're real busy so i will let you go but uh, thank you so much for bringing us up to date these are fascinating projects awesome thank you my thanks again to mike cunningham And folks, before you get on with the rest of your week, there are a few stories in the latest IBJ I want to draw to your attention. First up, everybody loves vibrant neighborhoods and a good comeback story, but residents of the up-and-coming Riverside neighborhood are concerned about a corresponding surge in their property taxes. Taylor Wooten reports on a city pilot program that could grant them some grace. Also in this week's issue... Mickey Shuey reports that Mayor Joe Hogsett's administration has decided against redeveloping the city-county building and instead will consolidate offices from around the city into the 28-story behemoth. And Peter Blanchard examines the national bidding war for big manufacturing projects that pits Indiana against states across the country and drives up the cost of incentive packages. Again, you can find these stories in the latest print edition of IBJ, or online at ibj.com. And thanks again for making time this week for the IBJ podcast. I'm Mason King. Hang in there, everybody. We'll be back again next week.